Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome Isabel, partner at Shore Valley Ventures, an AI-focused VC firm which helps early-stage software entrepreneurs in the UK and Ireland grow and scale. Isabel joined SVB in 2018 and was involved in building out the fund as well as relationships with founding teams innovating in immersive tech, esports, metaverse, enterprise AI, and cybersecurity. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review, and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Isabel, welcome to the European VC podcast. Super nice to have you with us today. How is everything? Great. Great to be here, uh, David Andreas. Uh, super excited to be on your podcast. Uh, I've been waiting a while. <laughs> <You've been> <laughs> We've had a bunch of rescheduling, actually. Funny that you say that. And, and by the way, thank you for, for dealing with that. I think part of it was our fault. Part of it was your fault. So together, you know, we, we, we managed that okay. Uh, Isabel, to those listening in that don't know who you are, they don't know about yourself and the firm you're here representing today, give us a quick rundown. Sure. Uh, I'm Isabel, um, partner at Sure Valley. Um, sure Valley Ventures is a seed fund. We're predominantly investing across the UK and Ireland, writing checks up to 1.5 million into uh, initial rounds of funding into early stage software businesses. We do have a particular focus on companies with underlying IP in their product or platform. And we've kind of circled around sectors such as that are using AI and ML in enterprise in immersive tech, in cybersecurity and infosec. And in the past, we did a little bit of IoT. So the fund itself has been around since 2017. And the origin story is really a managing partner, a guy called Barry Downs, is an ex-entrepreneur turned investor and really started the fund in 2017 with the aim of building out a regional fund in Ireland and giving access to entrepreneurs in those regions to capital to build their businesses. Because largely speaking, these uh, regional areas tend to not have as much access to investors and founders have to travel to the likes of Dublin or in other cities like in the UK to London and he felt that there was a gap there and hence Sure Valley was born with that in mind and also to f- plug the gap of technical founders that you know want VCs that understand them can get into the weeds of the tech and and really help them build their businesses and so voila that was Sure Valley. And um, maybe also to keep on painting a, a clearer picture here Give us also kind of a brief rundown of, you know, the different fund sizes, different focus, you know, is it, do you have five funds under your belt? Is it the first time, first fund, you know, just so everyone understands. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so the first fund was launched, as I said, in 2017. That fund was a 30 million euro fund. As mentioned, or as we've discussed, David, I, with your Valley, we took the opportunity of working with Enterprise Ireland in Ireland as a cornerstone of our first fund and some private investors. And that's really what got us off the ground with that fund. We've totally deployed that fund. So we've done 15 deals out of that fund. We've had a number of exits, some partial IPOs and some good early track record with that fund. And really what that enabled us to do was go back out to market uh, during COVID actually, in fact. So, and we were successful in, well, we went through some pretty rigorous processes with a few potential LPs and we then went back out to market and launched a new fund last year in March, which we did a first close of 85 million pounds for that fund. And we went via the British Business Bank with their Enterprise Capital Fund Manager Programme. 
and that fund is now we're deploying out of that fund we've closed that fund up and yeah so we we're active and busy in the market with that in the UK and now actually we are also on the cusp of launching a third fund uh, which will be an Irish focus fund and we're planning to do a first close of 30, well we're on track to do a first close of 30 million with that fund in the next few weeks. So Isabel, that's exciting news. So so a new fund um, about to launch. You know, I think this year is like, it's an interesting year in the sense that late last year, you know, a bunch of kind of end of world predictions were <laughs> going like back and forth on, on everything in social media. And then obviously things aren't as bad as everyone says. They're also never as good as everyone says. So it's exciting to see new funds announced. I'd, lo- I'd love to ask you, you know, share with the audience a bit your experience, you know, fund three, how was the fundraise process for you guys? I think raising a fund is <laughs> very, very hard in any market, particularly emerging managers like hats off. It's, you know, your track record, you need to build that, you need to, you know, it's not an easy business. And so I think with launching this new fund, you know, as I said, we do have a very, been very lucky to have very strong backers in according these funds. But, you know, a lot of the capital that's coming in from them has to be matched. And we do need to go out and find those private investors. And I'm not going to lie, it's it's really tough. Like we knock on so many doors, we get so many no's. But at the same time, we also get, the, you know, we find the investors that are interested, that are, you know, willing to kind of come on this journey, have looked at some of the things that we've done to date and, you know, are really excited about it and, and believe that it's a team that they think they can back. And that's really, we have seen that with our privates coming in, high net worths, family offices. We've also been very lucky that the private investors in our previous funds have wanted to come on the journey again and back us again. And with fund one, we did recycle some capital and we have you know, shown them some early liquidity as well. So that has helped that as well. But I think managers out there trying to raise capital, it's a hard game. What I do love about the ecosystem and particularly, you know, what you guys are doing and other people, other folks that I know that I work with is it's becoming way more of a collaborative environment. There's a lot more open door policy in terms of, well, maybe you should talk to this LP that I know that I didn't get a yes for more or they're in my fund. I've Like last year, I was sharing notes with another investor and he kind of said, oh, like, have you thought about this concept of LP swaps? So you like, I'll give you a list of LPs that I think would be suitable for you. We can do intros and vice versa. You do the same thing. So I think all of these things are really helping with, you know, helping managers in the ecosystem. I think that's, it's great to see it. And, and it's something that we've been benefit of as well. I'd actually love to dive into that because something that I have found that on the one hand, GPs always ask us, can you help uh, intros to XYZ? And at the same time, as they ask us, they're also sometimes a bit surprised with how much we help with that. And I'm curious to hear your take on that, especially LP to LP. Do you see the your your LPs and LPs in general being good at saying, it's, it's not for us now or it's not blah, 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 but I actually think that it might be a good fit for this group? Or or do you see the LP base more being, it's very much siloed? And do you mean, Andres, do you mean in our fund or in LPs in general? In general, because I, w- I won't ask you for <laughs> giving commentary to your own LPs, but more the environment as you experience it uh, in general. Because otherwise I know the answer is going to be, no, no, they're super collaborative. I've never received so much help as I do. <laughs> so right, let's talk about the LP environment in general. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I think like some examples. When I was at Web Summit last year, I came across a lady who was organizing female GPs and LPs and kind of getting them together at a dinner, a dinner format and really seeing, you know, getting this mixing, mingling going on 
because I think you know, the attraction for LPs for that is, okay, there's a number of different GPs. I'll ho- hopefully find one that is maybe a right fit for me. Or if not, I'll meet another GP that might have someone else in their network. So I, I do think that it, it does exist. It's evolving, would be my opinion. I think like there's more of a feel for that now. And I, I think also because there's way more diverse funds. Like there's now so many more fund managers targeting different sectors with you know different focuses and actually it gives LPs a much more breadth in terms of where they can find opportunities to invest into where they can see returns coming from so I think overall there is a move towards that. You know because I remember hearing some data and it's UK centric and that's why I'm asking it and if you don't that's not really the point of the question but do you actually know the data about like LPs committing to more than one fund and I'm asking this because what you brought up about LP swaps is super interesting right and Andreas touched upon it but it's actually something we've heard here and there in the podcast like this idea of sharing LPs that it doesn't happen as much in Europe as in in more developed ecosystems like the US do you have any any idea there and you know you shared a, a kind of an intro to a story there could you kind of finalize that story in the sense well did that actually come to fruition did you actually manage to raise money through that or is it something that's very still early days so you don't really have an opinion yet about about the success yeah so back to the yeah so i think like it i don't know the data of kind of lps investing into multiple funds in the uk but i believe that in that lp swap situation in the end it wasn't something that we did more so because and it was a it was kind of an open conversation with that other GP, but it was more the funds were quite similar. So we a little bit felt that okay, if you know, we're sharing LPs with them, our LPs might want to go with them versus us. No, I'm joking. But it was an interesting idea and it was an interesting opportunity to start with, but it wasn't something we did progress with. But I can see the value in it and it probably does work when you have funds at the same level, I guess, maybe that, you know, in terms of returns and track record and stuff but they maybe have lps that actually want exposure to a different type of sector and that's maybe where you have funds in different sectors that actually works quite well because i think maybe if an lp has been investing in a fund that's targeting a certain sector for x amount of years and they suddenly like actually i want to get exposure for this other area of technology how do i do that and maybe that's that's where there there's a matching opportunity there and that where that kind of evolves better i think I actually have a question for you. It might sound very provocative, but it isn't intended as such. And it's, it actually comes out of a, of a conversation I had yesterday at an event in the Lisbon ecosystem where we're talking about LPs and funds. And kind of the consensus around the group of people chatting was that, you know, the more local focused the fund was, the more protective of its LP base it, it ended up being. Because then like, you know, in its ecosystem, its peers are, are very much kind of hunting in the same pool, so to speak both in terms of deals, but also in terms of capital. Do you think there's also something into that in the sense of, you know, once you are a very local player focused player, like you have to be much more protective of that LP base. And then as you grow and as you expand into more geos, but also more stages, you can actually be a bit more sharing or whatever. Uh, just a thought that was shared that day. I'm not sure I necessarily 100% agree because in a small ecosystem, you're going to have less obviously potential investors or LPs. And as a result, yes, there's a need to protect, but would you not be more, and maybe what we've done more of is present an opportunity to LPs from abroad that they're like, okay, you haven't got knowledge of this market. It's a smaller market. We have our hands around the entire market. We can find the best deals. So this presents itself as an opportunity to you. So I think funds having a combination of local and 
international peace is actually what we've seen to work in our particular situation. In actual fact, we've had the opposite work where we had an LP in our fund too, who is based in Ireland, but they wanted exposure to the UK. So they were like, well, actually, I have a lot of opportunities to invest into Irish-based funds, but actually I want to invest into a fund that has UK presence and this poses a great opportunity for me. So that's kind of how we've seen it work. But like my experience obviously is mostly reliant on Irish and UK ecosystems. How often do you see LPs asking you both diligencing other managers, but also saying we're looking for a great fund in this space? Would there be anyone that you would recommend that we talk to? Do do you experience that from your LPs or is it a, a rarity? I haven't experienced it from any of my particular LPs in our funds like there has been a number of programs that have been launched like there's one in Ireland at the moment which is EIF Enterprise Ireland and the Irish Strategic Investment Fund and they've looked quite broadly at what different types of funds so there would always be a you know a call to say if there's any funds wanting to apply for this and they would you know there is an intention there by them to go to existing managers and say well I know you guys are going to apply is there any other funds that you think we should look at. So it does exist. We haven't had it direct. I haven't had it directly happen to me or be asked of me yet, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the other side of it. We kind of skipped past it, but I think maybe the attentive listener heard the same thing as I did. Fund two was 95 million and you actually launched it last year. And now you're about to launch your third fund. Yeah. Uh, could you just, you know, that that is a very, very rapid progression from fund two to fund three. So I'm thinking there's there's probably a different mandate for fund three. Yeah, absolutely. So in essence, Andres, what occurred there was when we were fundraising for our second fund, we looked at a number of different options as routes to go. In the end, we were successful with the ECF program and, and the British Business Bank, and we were delighted and and we launched that fund and, and we built a team around that as well. So we, you know, we're lucky to bring on some excellent team members in the last 12 months. And like we've, you know, generating deal flow, we have that up and running. And with that fund, we have a real, a regional focus in the UK. So we're not just focused on London. We very much see opportunities in the north of England, in Scotland, and Wales, in Northern Ireland. In fact, our first deal in that fund was a Belfast-based company. It's largely based on our experience in the Irish market, whereby Sometimes in these areas that are lesser served by capital, you're, they're amazing founders and they really are. Sometimes they're even scrappier and they're better able to boost, they bootstrap their businesses. They really and we feel that there's there's people are missing a beat there. And like whilst like I think the UK is such a big market that London does just become the focus for a lot of investors. And a lot of investors are in London do think, you know, do feel that it's adequate to just get the train up to Manchester or get to Leeds or fly to Scott, to Edinburgh. But we just felt that actually it would be nice for the founders there to have people on the ground that they can go to, that they can talk to and and feel that, you know, they're being served there. And that's that was part of our mandate for that fund. And it's been very successful. We are seeing a huge amount of deal flow from the region, some super quality stuff and really excited about that. In the same breath as we were fundraising, talking to a number of parties, our existing investor in Fund One, Enterprise Ireland, were eager to to work with us again you know their mandate is ireland and you know we have a pres we've had, already have track record their presence there we have infrastructure there so we were like well it's easily doable so let's explore it and we were able to figure out a, a model that would work and hence we were able to go forward with this third fund and launch that and and largely you know our strategy is the same across the two funds it's the same focus it's the same like stage it's the same way in which we approach working with founders. We're very hands-on. 
the due diligence process, we love to see technical founders. We get under the hood of meeting those businesses. We do all the due diligence ourselves. So it's largely the same mandate, but it's just the geo. And, you know, even in the Irish market, we would see we are a little bit differentiated in that sense because there's more generous funds, whereas we have a bit more of a specific focus that, yeah, there is a position for us in the market there. And, and we're super excited to kind of have that as well as our, you know, the UK fund as well. So really cover both those territories quite effectively. I really like that story and the way you explained it and the fact that, you know, there was there's kind of almost a pool also kind of for you guys as a firm to, to think about doing this. If I take the devil's advocate kind of position, right, thinking here. So I'm, I'm an LP in the UK focused fund. You know, I, I deployed a capital and I'm, you know, you guys are going to, this is your focus. You're going to do this. And then a year in, there's a third fund with a different focus. I also wonder, and it's a very open-ended question, you know, what are like the balances here, right? And the checks and balances that you need to make sure you have because you're basically running two investment investment strategies at the same time. And how do you make sure you're servicing both LPs to your best ability without like putting kind of creating any conflicts of interest here. Maybe before you start answering, just to clarify something, the second fund can also invest in Ireland, right? So there is actually yes. no. Okay, so that's purely UK. Okay, that's a UK fund. This is an Irish yep. fund. There's yep. no crossover, so that's why you know it's comfortable for all parties in that regard. And I guess as I said, one with the UK fund, we built a very good team around it. We have the partners that you know, sit across all the funds. We've done a lot of work on time allocation and all that kind of stuff and like how we would manage it and investment committee and all this kind of great stuff. So we've done a lot of homework on this and it, you know, we found a model that does work and that's kind of what's given, you know, everyone's pretty excited about it. And, and I think overall it's, it signifies it, it's a good story as well. Like you have a lot of capital being deployed into the UK and into the regions as well, which is really important for some of our LPs and then obviously with this new Irish fund again we will look to kind of bolster the regions as well and that's something that the commonality put in our funds and then the sector focuses but that's kind of where the line is drawn really there's no competition between the funds per se. I guess part of the answer as well which you didn't really say is that aside from the difference in geo all the other stuff kind of remains the same so it's same sector same type of deals same you know everything is the same am I kind of right in saying that that's also a big part of it? It is. And important to note there is we would never and we have never done to date invest into any competing companies in the sense if we had a UK version of an Irish company, that's just not something we would do. We would if we had invested into something in the UK that then we find a deal in Ireland that looks similar, it wouldn't be of interest. That means that you're betting on global champions as well, right? So you're not betting on the UK leader because right, because then an Irish LP could be what about the Irish leader, right? No, no, no. At our core is finding, like, we like to back some companies that we feel are going to be fund re- actually fund returners. And that means they come, they have can be kind of binary as well. So we have backed some companies that we are like, right, that could be an actually fund returner, but also there's risk there. And that's what we're looking for, really. And whether that be in the UK and Ireland and, you know, our longer term ambition is to have a European fund and then, you know, let's see from there. But yeah. Could I ask you a question? And this is, I'm walking a bit on thin ice here. And it's a bit complex as well. <laughs> or that's why it's thin ice, because uh, <laughs> I might stumble in trying to explain it. But I am putting out in our newsletter next week something around the fact that the dry powder is turning wet, meaning that it may have been raised, but it's not really being deployed because the LPs that the capital is raised from, they don't really want it called <laughs> if they can avoid it. And the VCs are also seeing that there's good reason to kind of also take it slow 
And you're really in a position where you're about to launch Fund 3, but you could also wait a bit. <laughs> and I'm curious to hear how you've thought about the timing of Fund 3. We're not in a rush. Like, that's, like we have a big UK fund. There's a lot of capital deployed there. We've always been very strict with our due diligence. We've been, you know, we are a bit price sensitive. We haven't been caught up in the, the heady days of 2021 you know, even at some points, I would turn to some of the other partners and say, well, are we actually, are we missing out here because we're not willing to, and we just, we've just stuck to what we thought was best and we have a cadence and we stick to it. I don't think we're going any slower than we normally would, but I think the market is the way it is and it is, everything's a bit slower and it's probably a nicer pace for VCs. Like you are able to do a lot more due diligence, you're able to spend more time with the founders. It's not turning around a term sheet in a week, which is crazy. So yeah, you know, we have that, but I think with this Irish fund, it was, you know, coinciding with the LP that we're launching with, they want to get this into the market. They want to kind of show that there's innovation happening, there's capital being deployed. And I think that's partly it as well. So, and I look, I think also it's a good time for investors to be investing. Like I think the vintages of these funds that are invested during these periods will prove like, unless you're not very good, <laughs> which you could run the risk of. Yeah, we should do well and that fund should do well. And, and we, we also feel comfortable because as I said, we have a, you know, a team at the UK fund. We have an existing team that know the Irish market very well. And we have, you know, we will hire for that as well. So no, we're pretty, we're comfortable with this as it stands. Raising fund three with the focus on Ireland when you have an established fund two that has a focus on the UK, that is in a way you're going to race to do the same, but it's in another geo. How did you make sure that your story and narrative around fund two would translate into the Irish context? And how did you get LPs confident that, yes, you can do what you've done with fund two, you can actually do that in Ireland as well for Fund 3. Well, under Astrology, it's actually our Fund 1 that has enabled us this because it's a, just it's an evolution of the fund size, really. And but that's impressive, right? Because Fund 1, our audience's context, was a 10 million pound. It was 30 million. 30 million. Okay, it was 30 million. Yeah, okay. So that there's yeah. more transferability there. Yeah, okay. Our first fund was very much our thesis and us proving to ourselves and to our LPs that this would work and that what we were looking to invest into was were great opportunities with potentially great returns. And as I mentioned before, that having that kind of more regional focus, but also looking for those technology deals. That, like, you know, immersive tech is not an area that a lot of people, investors invest into, or, you know, some areas we were doing or looking at AI companies before other investors were comfortable with them necessarily or believe that what they're building was true to be AI or it was actually doing something, evolving in an in industry or automating something. So that was always the way we thought, looked at the world. So then that's what enabled, when we went to raise fund two, they were like, oh, okay, these guys have this, they've done this in this market. They, our fund one also did have some UK deal flow in it as well, which was interesting and was helpful for us because that ultimately helped us raise that fund as well. So they're like, okay, this is something different. We haven't seen it. We believe these guys have a good track record. They're good to work with. We, you know, we, we spent a long time talking to these LPs, so they got to know us. And yeah, and then, so that was launched. And then fund three effectively is the same LPs from fund one. And they're like, okay, well, they're just coming back out to market with another fund in the Irish markets. So it's it pretty much the same thing. So that's why it, it makes more sense to me because I'm east, sleep and breathe it. Whereas, yeah, I can see why it is. It might be a bit complex on the surface. I have one final question and then we'll go to the quick fire. I've been thinking about this. How do you transition from having been a frontier investor in AI to now everyone jumping on AI and thinking it's amazing? Do you then 
say, okay, it's time for us to find the next screen field or, or, or do you stick and double down on, on AI and say, okay, we, we, we believe that we're still better than the others, even though there's now more. I think the thing is, just because you jump in and that doesn't mean you can diligence or figure out what a good AI company is, unless you're paying for consultants to come on board and, and do it for you, do your due diligence for you. But that's, yeah, I don't think that's something that you can do very easily. So for us, as I said, it's a little bit in the DNA of the fund. We have two partners, three partners that are very technical. You know, as I said, nearly go back to first principles when we're talking to companies about how they're building their methods and their models of, of AI and kind of not only that, but that it's then like, okay, that's great, but what's the actual application here? How big is that? Can that be commoditized easily? Like eventually, you know, what's the time value of doing that using AI versus a consultant coming in to do it? You know, we look, these are all the questions we ask ourselves when we're looking at these businesses and really understanding kind of the true value of the use of AI within that business and that sector and vertical. So for us, no, we're kind of here to stay and we believe that we can find the better deals, whereas there is such a huge amount of hype and buzz now in the sector. It is, it, yeah, I definitely think it, it becomes trickier to sift through it all. But I think if you really know what you're talking about and what you're looking for, you can, you'll still find the better deals. <laughs> And now it's time for the quick fire. And I feel like I need a drum roll for this. I need to get a little drum here that I can play. Uh, Isabel, quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready? Yeah, I think so. Maybe. <laughs> so what areas, technologies or sectors excite you the most that people around you don't really feel that excited about? I think we've kind of touched on the general AI space, but I'm currently looking at a quite interesting AI company in the it combines satellite data and models to analyze wine crops and vineyards to help wine growers understand the impact of climate change and kind of other factors on their crops. And I think it's very applicable because, you know, more and more every year you're seeing, well, we're seeing kind of the changes in climate as a result of climate change, but also what the impact is on agriculture and farming. And I think solutions like this are very, I find them very interesting. I think that application of technology and a, an industry that doesn't use it and really needs it, I think is, is super interesting. Also, I like to drink wine. Yeah. I was going to say that. <laughs> All the vineologists or whatever that's called this, uh, listening in, this makes a lot of sense coming from an Irish-focused fund because you're starting to produce all kinds of white wines and you know, that you could never produce in Ireland before. So yes, it makes sense that that tech would come out of, uh, out of there. Interesting. Exactly. <laughs> Second question of the quick fire, uh, Isabel, what are your top tips for emerging VCs across Europe who are now fundraising? I have lots of tips, I guess. Well, I think lean into your networks. You know, as I've said already, I've told you guys how great you are, but like what you've started is pretty amazing for resources and for people just hearing other emerging managers and hearing their, you know, their stories and their journeys. I think, you know, so that's a huge benefit, I think, for managers these days. As I've mentioned, we've gone very much down working with the likes of British Business Bank and Enterprise Ireland uh, with regards to our funds and looking at the programs that they have. And I know even more and more, they have, you know, a lot of programs emerging, some dedicated to female GPs. So I think attending their sessions, these organizations run sessions every quarter, every year, you know, going along to those, talking to them, getting to know these funders as well. And just having that kind of, open dialogue with them as to like what they look for, what the process is, how to, how to get on that process. 
there's more and more emerging groups. Like I, as I mentioned, I'm in a number of groups dedicated to all female GPs and one is uh, the European Women in BC. And they're running an amazing program at the moment where they, every month it is, I think they line up various different LPs to talk to the GPs across Europe. And it's been amazing. Like I think last time was EIF. There's been MetLife have been on there. Um, Isomer have been there. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's just a lot of great information sharing happening, which I think is is super. Obviously, the obvious is attending conferences. I am going to go to Invest Europe myself this year, but I'm seeing a lot more kind of smaller break-off conferences happening as well. There's another one I attended in um, Barcelona last year, and it was a spin-out from Allocate. And it was like a really amazing format because it was way less like transactional. It was kind of, okay, it's a group of GPs and LPs. It has been curated to a certain degree, but you know, you're meeting each other over like lunch and dinner and activities and just a bit more a natural flow of kind of getting to know each other. And I think those seem to be the style and format that are... Isabel here is hiding the fact that they were playing soccer in the Barcelona Stadium. Uh, <laughs> just to anyone listening and thinking that this sounds super sober and down to earth, Allocate put on a pretty cool event there. <laughs> well, I didn't do the soccer. I went and did a sailing. Actually, there were a few people on those boats that didn't feel so well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how that tends to pan out. <laughs> uh, no, it was great. It was a really great, um, yeah, really great trip. But uh, yeah, so that kind of a form is um, is something. And I think, look, obviously, the a lot of it is just really going and finding these investors on LinkedIn, on wherever you find them, reaching out to them, figuring out how to get yourself in front of them. How do you you know, what are they looking for? There's a lot of that involved, which most emerging VCs will know themselves as well. Third and final question, Isabel. What is the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you've been in venture? I think it's fundamentally in actually raising money. It's like you go out to raise, try and raise money and it's like, oh, but you don't have track record and you're, but you're like, well, if I had a capital to deploy, I might have track record. (laughs) It's like, there's like, imbalance between oh but you, you don't have oh no sorry the tagline you don't have enough track records <laughs> so it's like okay so I think that that for me is sometimes you're like okay but I would only have it if I have the, the funding to do so so that can kind of be a little bit counterintuitive a lot of the time I think but at the same time also incredibly logical that someone who you're asking to give you money to invest would say well have you what have you invested in <laughs> I think it's kind of when you present with pretty good track record and they're like oh but you know you don't have enough or yeah, yeah like, or where's the dpi and you're like well what the fuck well <laughs> i can come back in 10 years if you want <laughs> yeah, yeah all right well let's get out of this conversation before i get into trouble thanks isabel so much for joining us it was a blast <laughs> thanks so much guys thank you for listening to this episode of the european vc the go-to podcast for everything european vc If you love the show, share with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc.